and uh, it's been a wee while from I was here, but it's good to be back again. Returning this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is a very well-known chapter, and I want to speak this morning on always abounding. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to read the closing eight verses of this great chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll begin reading at verse number 50. Apostle Paul writing says, Now this, I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying, that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death! Where is thy sting, O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain." In the Lord. Let's pray together and let's ask for God's help as we come to His Word. Father, we want to thank you for your Word. We want to thank you. We hold on our knee the inspired and inerrant Word of God. And we believe that your Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But Father, we also acknowledge that we need the Spirit of God to help us to understand the things that are written. And so we pray that we might each be filled with the Spirit of God and attentive to the voice of God, that we might be able to behold wondrous things from your law. So, Father, speak to us now and give that needed help as we consider it together. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You and I are living today in a a time when quitting, giving up, resigning, downing tools and striking is rampant. Our nation is currently being crippled by strikes from trains to uh, postal strikes and everything in between. And it seems that if conditions aren't right, if pay isn't perfect, if things don't suit, then you simply leave or protest. And your employers are so many are saying, and I have friends with businesses, and they say, nobody wants to work anymore. We live in a culture of quitting when there's a lack of stickability. And with that mentality that's all around us in society, it's so essential that we guard that such a mentality doesn't come into our churches. And yet, sadly, there are times when it does. Fortunately, there are times in in church life where we can struggle to keep going, when we can struggle uh, with the work that God has called us to do. And sometimes an attitude can creep in that unless I can work for the Lord my way, have it done my way, then I'm not going to get involved. Of course, the COVID pandemic hasn't helped leaving many Christians comfortable and have gotten used to life without any kind of Christian service. 
Yet here at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the very last verse of the chapter, the Apostle Paul calls for us as Christians to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. This little phrase can literally be translated, be always overflowing, be always contributing, be always fully engaged in the Lord's work. In fact, the word abounding in the original Greek, it refers to a liquid that, that's filled to the rim and then begins to overflow the edges. You know the a way that there's a maximum and a minimum indicator. To abound means to go beyond the maximum and begin to overflow the container in which the liquid is. This word abounding is also found in Ephesians 1 in reference to the Lord Jesus. In Ephesians 1 and verses 7 to 8 we read these words. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And there in that chapter, in Ephesians chapter 1, as the Apostle Paul uses this word abounding in reference to Christ, he tells us that the Lord Jesus did not do the bare minimum when he came to save us. Rather, in coming to this earth and going to the cross and all that he done there, the Lord has lavished his grace and his wisdom upon us without measure. He has abounded toward us in his work. Therefore, coming to 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, in our life and service for him, we're called to be always abounding. We're called not to just do the bare minimum, but give it our all. Now, when we talk about this, it's important we understand because maybe you feel, you know, well, I'm not able to give what I once could. I'm not able to dedicate what I once was able to dedicate. Paul here is not talking about being burnt out for the Lord. Nobody wants, and the Lord certainly doesn't want us burnt out, but sold out for the Lord. Committed, faithful, giving our everything to the work of the Lord. This is a hard verse for us maybe to practice but hopefully here in the things that are written we can begin to understand what it means to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Three things that we're going to consider as we look at this familiar verse together. First of all I want us to think about the fact that Christ's renown encourages abounding. Christ's renown encourages Abounding. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look at verse 58, look at the opening words. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye. When you see a therefore in your Bible, you've got to ask the question, what is it there for? And a therefore always links back to what went before. And therefore, Paul is saying, in light of what I've just said, be always abounding in the Lord's work. What I've just said should encourage you to always abound in service for the Savior. Now, what has Paul just said? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the great victory chapters of the New Testament. It's a chapter that many Christians love. It's a chapter in which Paul has just defended Christ's resurrection. That's how the chapter begins, with a defense of the resurrection of Christ. Paul has also not only defended Christ's resurrection, but he has disclosed Christ's return, that the Savior is coming back. 
And alongside defending Christ's resurrection and closing Christ's return, he declares Christ's renown. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul has just said. Amidst apostasy and antagonism from both inside and outside the church, Paul has essentially in 1 Corinthians 15 just declared victory in Jesus. He has just declared that as Christians, we serve a risen, a returning, and a renowned Savior, a mighty victor, one who has plans and purposes to fulfill that cannot fail, one who has said that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's the Savior that Paul has just presented in the preceding verses and he says in that context therefore my beloved brethren be ye he says I want you to see the savior you serve you're not working for an unjust master you're not working for an employer that lays out conditions that are absolutely appalling he says in light of the person just presented in light of the returning the renowned and the risen Lord Jesus Christ be always abounding. You know, the incredible thing is that though the Lord is capable to do his work himself, he doesn't need any of us. He has chosen to partner with his people in his work. If you look back in the, very, uh, in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, just turn back a few chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know, there's an incredible picture of grace here that that the Lord is almighty, that the Lord can build his church and is capable of doing his work himself. And yet in his grace, he has chosen to partner with his people, give us the privilege of being involved in his work. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 9. Look at what Paul says. He says, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building according to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereupon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For no other foundation can can no man lay than is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And what a blessing that the Lord Jesus, just before he went back to glory, didn't serve us with a mandate, a mission, and say, I want you to get on with this, and I'll meet you in glory someday. What a blessing the Lord doesn't leave his own to serve on their, on their own. You know, there's nothing uh, sometimes more choking, and uh, I suppose I'm out of uh, working in industry for quite a number of years now, but you know, when you're knocking your pan in, and, and your boss is away on holiday sunning himself in the Caribbean, and you're absolutely racking yourself to, 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 to do the work, and you know, that's not the way the Christian life is. The Lord, and I say this reverently, hasn't cleared off to heaven and just let us get on with his work. Rather, Christ grants both the grace and the gifting to be always abounding in his work. He gives us what we need. Maybe this morning you're discouraged in your service for the Lord. Maybe you're disillusioned. You've lost the joy. As God's people, we should be encouraged to serve our Savior because of who he is. Not because of the results that we'll see, because we may see results, we may not. 
Our motivation for continually abounding in the work of the Lord is because of who we're serving. Because of his renown. Because of his victory. You know, we serve a master who is unbeaten and who cannot fail regardless of what the results may be showing us. You know, if you were to Google uh, what is the most successful sports team in history, several results are returned and uh, there was Americans and all different kinds. But really the overarching global most successful sports team in the world is the New Zealand rugby team. In over 100 years of rugby, the All Blacks hold an 84% winning record against all opposition played. They have also won 77% of all test matches played, and they hold a winning record against every test nation in the world. The average margin when playing the All Blacks is 25-12. That is, they have scored more than twice the number of points than all opposition combined. New Zealand are so successful that until recently, in fact, just until this year, they had never been ranked lower than third on the world rankings. So then you transfer that renown of of the All Blacks rugby team, you then transfer that into the classroom. And every single Kiwi kid, the renown of their national team serves as inspiration to give their all in the hope of one day being made part of that team. The kid will play harder. They will train harder. They will always abound because they one day dream of playing for that team. And the reality is only a small percent will ever make it. But the Christian life is different. Because Christ gave his all to make us a part of his team. And every one of us here this morning, I don't care how gifted or ungifted you feel, you have been given a place on the winning side. Christ has won, his kingdom will not fail, his church will be built, his work will be, will be accomplished. How can we be sure? Because this week you've battled in Good News Club or you've battled in Sunday school and you're not seeing any results. How can we be sure at the end of the day The Lord is going to succeed in all that he has set out to do. Because this far, he has succeeded in everything he has done. You know, often instead of being laborers in God's work, we can find God's work laborious. It can be a struggle to be active, never mind abound. But listen, folks, when we realize that we're on the winning side, that we serve the King of Kings who will always accomplish All that he determines. So the Apostle Paul, as he encourages us to abound always in the work of the Lord, Christ's renown encourages abounding. Read the Savior that we serve, one who is risen, one who is returning, and one who carries heavenly renown. But not only do we have Christ's renown encouraging our our, our abounding, but constant resilience fuels are abounding. Constant resilience fuels our abounding. Look at what Paul says. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Yes, Christ's renown encourages our abounding, but constant resilience fuels our abounding. There is no doubt, folks, that it's hard to be resilient in a culture of quitting. We live in a world where we want instant results. 
We want perfect conditions. People resigning at the slightest upset or going off sick at the most minor of hardships. And that can happen in, in, in the Christian work. The loss of commitment, stickability and resilience. And sometimes we can be sympathetic. Sometimes we can understand, and I have sat with people in pastoral ministry and they're discouraged and, and we know, we can see and totally understand why they're giving up. Abounding can be ruined by things like spiritual discouragement. Can I encourage you this morning that, to be encouragers? Encourage your pastor, encourage your elders, encourage your new deacon, encourage your new members. Uh, you know, because not everybody is living on, on cloud nine. Not everybody is living on the mountaintop. And spiritual discouragement, people quit because nobody ever drew alongside them and encouraged them. Spiritual discouragement can ruin our abounding. Sacrificial commitment can ruin our abounding. Sometimes the commitment that's involved in the Lord's work, standard on excitement can ruin our abounding when sometimes the Lord's work isn't always exciting. The reality is it's easier to abound seasonally rather than continually once in a while. And yet what does Paul say here? He calls us to be always abounding. Now it's undoubtedly challenging to give our all in times of discouragement, in times where there's need for commitment and where there's unexcitement. It's hard to be always abounding in times of challenge and monotony. But I want, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this little phrase down. Resilience is required to see blessing. Resilience is required to see blessing. Resilience is needed to push through those periods and keep abounding. What does Paul say here that we need in terms of our resilience? He says we need two things. He said, first of all, we need steadfastness. What is steadfastness? Well, it literally means being firmly fixed. Being firmly fixed in the word particularly refers to being firmly fixed in our beliefs and our behaviors, in our convictions and in our commitments. Steadfastness is something that's within ourselves. It means to be firmly fixed from within, something that we've decided deep within our heart. These are my convictions. This is the life I'm going to live. These are the things I'm going to hold dear to. And I'm not going to move from those. The, the reason why the Apostle Paul calls for steadfastness here in the context of Corinth is the Corinthian Christians were fickle. They chopped and they changed their convictions. They were unsteady morally. They were unstable doctrinally, making them unsuitable practically. They were unsteady morally. The lives that they were living, they were up and down. One minute they looked ultra-spiritual. The next minute they looked anything but spiritual. They were unstable doctrinally. They were flitting between what they believed and what they didn't believe, and it made them unsuitable practically. In fact, in Ephesians 4 and 14, the Apostle Paul says that we are to be henceforth no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby we lie and wait to, receive, uh, to deceive. James 1 and 8 says that, that the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, folks, it's not a healthy thing if we're constantly chopping and changing what we believe how we live, we will never be resilient in our service if we're not resilient in our faith. 
there's no depth to us, no, nothing to be anchored on if we're not convinced, convicted, or committed to the teachings of Christ. Somebody has said those who stand for nothing fall for, ever, fall for anything. And therefore, to be steadfast, we've got to be grounded. We've got to be stable doctrinally and steady morally, and that will make us suitable practically. And you know, the more we root and ground ourselves in the word and love the truth, the more we'll abound in service. Isaiah 26 and 3, Isaiah says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stead on thee, because he trusteth in thee. We don't anchor ourselves in anything but the Lord and his word. Oh, we need steadfastness. That's, a, that's an anchor from within. That's our convictions. But you know, Paul says to be always abounding and to be resilient, we need immovableness. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be as steadfast, unmovable. Literally, he's saying, let nothing move you. You know, the word here is similar to steadfastness, but Paul moves to the outward, the things that come against them. He says, be steadfast within, but be immovable without. Now, why are these two things important? When the Apostle Paul is talking about being immovable, he's saying, don't give in easily to outward opposition. John Piper puts it like this. Immovable means don't get knocked over by sudden blows. Keep your balance. Stand strong and unshaken when the winds come down and the floods come up and the winds blow and beat against your house. Be like a boulder that cannot get washed away. Be like a tree that cannot get blown down. You see, the Corinthians conceded easily to heresy about the resurrection. That was the problem. There were those who were rising up from without and they were infiltrating the church and they were rubbishing the truth of the resurrection and the Corinthians were giving in to this heresy. They weren't being immovable in this truth. They threatened to give up proclaiming hope because of hardship, because of opposition. And here's the reality, folks, and I know this and you know this, isn't it sometimes easier to fold than fight? Is that where you are today? It's easier to fold and fight. I I can't take this anymore. I'm just going to give up. Can I say to you this morning, don't. Don't give up. Don't fold. To be always abounding, you've got to be immovably resilient. Can I say something? Please make no mistake about it. God's work is hard. It is hard. It's the hardest work of all because... You're not just involved in a battle, like a secular battle. You're involved in a spiritual battle. So you have the forces of the world and the flesh and the devil coming at you. You're constantly going toe-to-toe against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Here's the thing. We cannot face these foes as defeatists. Defeatists never abide. And I want to say this morning... And I want this to be an encouragement. While God's work is hard, it is hard. God's work is not impossible to always abound in. Why? 
revert to point number one. You're on the victory side this morning. And if the Lord is for us, who can be against us? The battle is the Lord. So you're on the victory side. I want to say secondly, the cause is not in vain. The cause is not in vain. In 1 John 4 and 4, John puts it like this. Ye are of God, little children, and you've overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And those that have sought to come against you, and those that have sought to push you back, and those that the devil has used, even perhaps some of God's people, to stop you always abounding in the work of the Lord, the Lord will deal with them, and the Lord will bless you, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And therefore this morning, can I encourage you, where you maybe feel like at the point of giving up, you cannot take any more, be determined not to be defeated. I'm going to pronounce the, this name, and if there's any musicians here, I'm sorry, because if they know this person, Ignacy Jan Piterinski, famous Polish composer, pianist, was once scheduled to perform at a great American concert hall for a high, for a high society extravaganza. In the audience was a mother with her fidgety nine-year-old son. Weary of waiting, the boy slipped away from her side, strangely drawn to the Steinway piano on the stage. Without much notice from the audience, he sat down at the stool and he began to play chopsticks. The roar of the crowd turned to shouts as hundreds yelled, Get that boy away from there. When the master musician, Pederowski, heard the uproar backstage, he grabbed his coat and he rushed over behind the boy. And he reached around from behind him and the master began to improvise a counter melody to chopsticks. And as the two of them played together, Paderowski kept whispering in the boy's ear, keep going. Don't quit, son. Don't stop. Don't stop. The crowd were yelling, get him off the stage. The master musician kept saying, don't quit, keep going. Jesus is saying to us all this morning, keep going. Don't quit, son. Don't stop. Don't stop. Though the crowd around us is maybe calling us to quit, maybe the devil's calling us to quit, can I encourage you this morning, be resilient. Be steadfast and unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. And though that can be tiring, can I encourage you this morning? The blessing is just around the corner. Galatians 6 and 9, Paul says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. Oh, we see here how the Apostle Paul sets before us the fact that Christ's renown encourages abounding. Therefore, my beloved brethren, constant resilience fuels abounding. Be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. But as I close this morning, celestial reward inspires abounding. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do you know, 
you look at that last section, if you underline your Bible, you might want to underline those three words, as ye know. Sometimes the devil makes us forget that. When you see those words, as ye know, Paul here is not speaking in fantasy terms. He's speaking in factual terms. And he's saying, I don't want you to always abound in the work of the Lord in the hope that you're going to be rewarded someday. He says, you be always abounding, be steadfast and immovable because I want you to know with assurance that your work's not in vain. We often forget or lose sight of this fact. I have to acknowledge as a pastor, we often forget these facts. What a blessing to know that we don't labor for an unjust master. Hebrews 6 and 10 says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. You know, in our spiritual labors, we must choose which voice we're going to listen to. There'll be many voices. You can listen to the voice of the world and the devil and the disgruntled who say, this is all in vain. You're wasting your time as a deacon, as an elder, as a children's leader in some other service. You're wasting your time. You can invest that time, but you don't need this stress. (coughs) You don't need this. You can listen to that voice. Or you can listen to the voice of the Lord who lovingly says, your labor's not in vain. I'm going to reward you. I see your hardship. I see the battles. Can I want to say to you this morning, living our lives in the will of God and laboring in the work of God, no matter how difficult, is never in vain. Let me give you that again. Living our lives in the will of God, And laboring in the work of God, regardless of how difficult it is, is never in vain. One commentator says this, Jesus will be no man's debtor. Every sincere effort of gratitude, however faulty its execution, is valued by him and shall be recompensed. Maybe... Past hurts in the service of God are still raw in your life. And you're struggling to forget the hardship. I want to encourage you this morning. The Lord's going to remember that. And he's going to honor you for enduring that hardship. For those involved in God's work today, today counts forever. To the weary or the discouraged worker, The heavenly harvest is just around the corner. A celestial rest and a wonderful reward ceremony is coming. And I want to encourage you this morning, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Give your all. Because the Bible says your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I'm going to finish with this story. Newspaper copy editor Robert Manray piloted the smallest ship ever to sail the Atlantic Ocean. 
The trip aboard the Tinker Bell was long and difficult. He dared not sleep in the shipping lanes. The rudder broke several times. He was washed overboard often. He was saved only by the rope that he had tied to himself and to his 13-foot vessel. Finally, after 78 days at sea, Manry approached Falmouth, England. He thought only of tying up to some dock, finding a hotel room and getting some sleep to bring an end to his journey. But an enthusiastic crowd had other ideas. A fleet of about 300 small boats came out to greet him, all blowing their horns in salute. 40,000 well-wishers lined the docks, cheering him on. What a welcome he received after such an arduous journey. I want to encourage our hearts this morning that something similar awaits every faithful Christian who has weathered life's storms and remained true to the Savior and always sought to abound in the work of the Lord. There's a welcome awaiting, unlike any other, a celestial choir will welcome us into the presence of the Lord. And then he'll receive us and say, well done. Thy good and faithful servant. And I want to encourage your hearts this morning here in Points Pass. Be ye steadfast, unmovable. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Father, we want to thank you for this truth. We want to praise you, Father, for the privilege of being involved in your work, being partners with God, and we acknowledge, Father, you don't need any one of us, but you afford us this great privilege, and we have to acknowledge, Father, there are times when our joy and our service is removed. We allow difficulties to discourage us, and we understand that. But what a blessing this verse is to us. That when we seek to abound in the work of the Lord, we do it knowing that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Help us always to look ahead to that glorious welcome, that wonderful reward that we're going to receive. Oh, we rejoice that we don't serve an unjust master. And I pray for any here today, Father, Lord, from the leadership right down to anybody just serving in some other capacity who's discouraged today, who's struggling to abound, that you'll help them, Father, to be encouraged in your word today, to keep on abounding, because in the end it'll be worth it all. Encourage our hearts as we give thanks for your word. In Jesus' name. Amen.